John 6, 32 through 35 says, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. Good morning, fellowship. Before you ask, I also got roped into this. So go ahead and put it up there. There's little Robbie. And my dad was a pilot. And I, I really appreciated what Brian said a minute ago. He said, you know, it's a reminder that we're sons and daughters. And for me, I remember at that age, and then even as I grew older, there's nothing I wanted more than be like my dad. And um, that, that was, that's a good, good picture for me of that idea. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. And I hope this moves you as you think about, you are a son, you are a daughter. And now we come before our father together to hear him speak to us through his word. Before we dive into the text, let me just say this. If you're new to fellowship, we are so glad you are here. I know Lauren has already welcomed you, but I'll say um, we recognize this is not the easiest church to visit because there's always a different preacher. <laughs> not always, but if you've come here a couple times, you might say, what happened to that guy that was here last week? We do believe in a plurality of leadership, and part of that means team teaching. So we have two primary teachers, myself, I'm Rob and Lloyd, and we alternate back and forth. We have two campuses here in our Brentwood campus. We're one church and two congregations. So Lloyd's there this morning, I'm here, and then next week we'll switch out. But we're in the same series together. We're on the same page as a church. And so uh, I love the way we do that. It's a reminder that no teacher or pastor is the center of things, it's God's word. That's the center. In fact, it is the word made flesh that is the center, Jesus Christ. So this morning we have a wonderful text where we get to hear the words of Jesus speaking to a group of people who needed life. It reminded me of a story when we first moved here to Franklin it was 2014 and the ages of our kids, our, our three daughters were 10, seven, and four. So you can do the math, that was eight or nine years ago. So they're all significantly older than that. 10, seven, and four, those are cute ages and sweet ages and they're still cute and they're still sweet and, and you know, just in different ways. But I remember that season, um, we moved into our home here and we'd never had a bonus room before. And I had always wanted to have a home theater. So instead of buying a TV, we bought a projector and then we installed a screen. And uh, we still have the same projector, same screen we're using today. And we, we enjoyed watching movies sometimes together as a family and a little less often together as a family than it was in those early years. But I have this memory in my mind of one of the first times we did that. And you know, I'm sure it was some Disney movie or you know, princess movie at that time in the girls' lives. And I remember that they cleared their bed of all their blankets and pillows and stuffed animals. And they just gathered all those things in the bonus room and snuggled up. And you could probably barely, barely see their heads peeping through all the stuffed animals and blankets and pillows. And they had big smiles on their faces. The movie was starting and Jody and I went down to the kitchen and got a big bowl of popcorn for them. Now, 
Jody, when she makes popcorn, doesn't just make popcorn. Like she puts in M&Ms into the popcorn and other treats. And sometimes the popcorn is caramel with the M&Ms and the treats. And so we brought this big bowl. I mean, one of these big plastic popcorn bowls. We brought it up, set it in front of the girls. They're all snuggled in, watching the movie and their eyes are as big as saucers. And I remember one of them said, this is the best day ever. (laughs) And then another one said, this is the life. And then the little sister's like, yeah, this is the best day ever. This is the life. And I think what they were meaning at that time was like, we didn't know life could be this good. Now we've got comfort, entertainment. We've got each other. Sisters are here. We've got mom and dad and they're here and they're giving us treats. And like, how could life get any better? It's almost like the sense that we've all had these moments in life where we say, this is the life. It's like we're saying before I only knew what it meant to exist, but now I know what it means to live. We go through our lives seeking these little moments where we'll say, this is the life. You're a kid, it's a bowl of popcorn in a movie. Get a little bit older, that doesn't do it for you anymore. So then, you know, it's the boyfriend or it's the girlfriend. Get a little bit older than that. It's like, I got into the college that I wanted. This is the life. And then you start a career. This is the life. You get married. It's like, oh, this is finally the life. And you have a family. And that's this. Now this is the life. And career, maybe you get a promotion, maybe... You come into some money. Maybe you get to buy the lake house. This is the life. You get older, you have a grandkid. Now, this is the life. (laughs) You retire. You see, all these things, we spend our lives just chasing those, those brief moments in time, but they never last. In our text this morning, there's a group of people who are just like you and me in this. They're searching for life. They're getting married, they're having kids, they're making a living, they're falling in love, they're worrying about their future, all the things that you and I are walking through. And in the middle of all that searching for life, they encounter life himself. And he offers them life. But it comes with a catch. The catch is they have to be willing to see life differently than they've ever seen it before. And this is our invitation as well this morning. So we are in John chapter six. Go ahead and open your Bible if you haven't yet. And as as we told you a couple weeks ago, this is a long, maybe the longest chapter in John's gospel. We're five messages, five weeks in John chapter six. This is the third of the five. We're gonna cover a long passage this morning, verses 22 all the way through 40. And of course, a passage that long, I can't go deep into every verse but I'm gonna speed up in some places so that I can slow down in other places. This passage, Jesus is going to explain three things to a crowd. Number one, the reason why they're always searching for life but never really finding it. Number two, the place where they actually can find it. And number three, the way to take hold of it once they've found it. And so I'll walk you through those three things as kind of the outline of our text as we go through it. So let's start with the first one. The reason why we're always searching for life, but never really finding it. Start in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. 
Here's the context. This is the day after the feeding of the 5,000. And if you were here last week, you heard Lloyd teach the message of what happened the night after or the night of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. He wasn't with them initially. He was watching them. They get into the storm. Jesus comes to them. He's walking on the water. They think he's a ghost and he reassures them and he gets in the boat with them and they immediately are where they were intending to go and the presence of Jesus was the point. Wonderful message last week. I encourage you, if you missed it, to catch up. This is the next morning. And what happens is the crowd's like, where did Jesus go? It's like, we didn't see him get in that boat, but he's not here and they're all confused. And notice the last phrase, they're seeking Jesus. If you are looking for life, that's exactly where you wanna look. They are seeking Jesus. So they're started, right. However, there's more going on in their hearts, which we're going to see. Look at the next verses with me. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Let me pause there. In the Greek, that's amen, amen, truly, truly. means you're about to hear something that's true, that matters. Open your ears, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Notice Jesus goes right to the heart of the problem. They say, where, you know, you know when, when did you get here? And how did you get, you know, where did you come from? And he doesn't even answer that question. He's more important things to talk about. He goes right to the source of their problem, which is the human problem. And he says, the reason you've been seeking life and can never find it is you're seeking it in the wrong things. That's his answer. He says, do not work for food that perishes. That's how they've been up to this point thinking that they're going to be satisfied. He says, instead, there's that key contrasting word, but seek instead the food that endures, food that endures to eternal life. So he's contrasting food that perishes with food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says, you think you found life in food? Have you noticed that it just goes right through you and then you're hungry again? Of course, he's getting their mind to think about regular food, but he's, he's taking them to somewhere deeper. Food's a metaphor, obviously, in all of this. It has significant meaning in this. The underlying assumption is Jesus saying, but there's a different kind of food. In other words, there is a kind of food that will satisfy and not just go right through you so you're hungry again. There is a food, Jesus says, that endures to eternal life. Eternal life's a key phrase in John's gospel. It's not the first time we've come across it. Think about John 3, 16. Whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's talk about eternal life. You and I, when we hear that phrase, we think, oh, that's the life that starts when you die. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, eternal life starts when you die and you'll live forever. Yes, but there's a lot more to it. The Bible never says eternal life starts when you die. In fact, the way Jesus talks about eternal life is it starts when you believe and then endures past death into eternal life. That's the first thing you need to know about eternal life. It starts when you believe, not when you die. So there's a sense that you're like, I believe in Jesus. You should already be experiencing and tasting eternal life. Now that brings me to the second thing about eternal life we need to understand. Eternal life scripturally doesn't refer just the duration. It refers also to the quality, the characteristic of life. 
Eternal life is not just existence that never ends. It's life that is true life and it never ends. So think about my daughters who are on that couch. They're watching that movie with the popcorn and they're like, this is the life. What they were meaning is I'd only experienced existence before, but now I'm tasting life. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm talking about. The life that is true life, joy, fullness, contentment. You're at those places in life that you're like, there's nothing else I want. What more could I possibly want than this? This is the life. Jesus is saying, that is just a shadow. That's, that's, that's an aroma. You're, you're, you're tasting and you're smelling the real life that I have. So when you think about eternal life, I want you to think about the life that everyone is searching for, but most only ever catch a glimpse of. It's like seeing its shadow. And when we see the shadow of eternal life in these moments in life, we experience something good. We're like, this is the life. I've tasted it. I've seen it. And then it goes away. And Jesus is saying, the reason you're not holding on to it is because you're seeking for it in things that are temporary, things that are perishable. So think about this with me. You fall in love. You say, this is the life. And then that relationship has troubles. You get the job. This is the life. And then you lose the job. You have a baby. You buy the lake house. You have a grandchild. This is the life. This is the life. This is the life. These are all perishable things. Jesus is saying, you're, you're tasting eternal life. He says, but I have life for you that once you've grabbed onto it, will never pass, will never end. It's eternal life. And the son of man will give this to you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. Jesus is saying, you're seeking the right thing in the wrong places. And that's why you're never really finding it. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. Okay, a lot, lot more further to go, but, but, but that's where he's gonna start with them. Let's see what the crowd has to say about this, verse 28 and 29. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Pause there. In other words, they're saying, okay, if you're telling us you've got some really good stuff for us, really good life, just tell us, how do we earn it? Give us the list. This is the human nature, guys. This is you and me. It's like, like, what do I have to do? Just tell me what I have to do to get to the life I want. I have to work out more, to have more disciplined, quiet times. Give me the list of the eight things to start doing and the 19 things to stop doing. This is what's inside of us. Notice how Jesus responds to that question. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Why do we always make it about works? Why is that our natural tendency? I'm not doing enough. Or am I doing, I'm not doing the right things. If I'm not experiencing the life that I want because I'm doing the wrong things or I'm not doing the right things. Why do we make it about works? I think it's because works are easy to understand and they're easy to control. If you give me the list, I can understand it and I'll either do it or not do it and that's on me. I can understand that, I can control that to a certain degree. But Jesus, guys, he won't let them go there. He's intentionally trying to take them beyond things they can control into the realm of trust and dependence, which is the realm of faith. Notice he says, here's the work of God. You ready? Believe. That's harder to control. That's hard. 
my faith waxes and wanes. My, my, my belief kind of is a little bit shaky. He's like, Jesus is saying, I'm not gonna give you a list. In fact, here's, here's the metaphor. He's saying, faith is about coming up to the ledge and saying, I, I can't control what's gonna happen if I step off the ledge, but I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna believe that God's gonna get me. I'm gonna believe that, that true life is stepping out. Jesus says, believe. He doesn't just say believe. He says, believe in him who he has sent. And I'm not gonna unpack that now because Jesus is gonna unpack that as the passage goes along. Look at verse 30 and 31. This is fascinating. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you see what's going on here? They say, what works do we have to do? And Jesus is like, the, the, the work is to believe. Believe in him whom the father has sent. And then they're like, well, prove it to us. What sign do you give that we believe? So think about what's going on in the human heart here. Think about what's going on in, in, in their hearts and, and what goes on in, in our heart as well. It, it's, they're essentially saying, we don't want to have to believe something. We want to be convinced. We want proof. We want evidence. Don't stretch our faith. Just satisfy us. Give us bread. The irony is Jesus had just given them bread the day before, and this is the same crowd that he fed in the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, they chased him all around the top of the lake, and now they found him in Capernaum. And, and why, why, are, why are they asking him to prove it again? It's interesting they go to manna. Manna was given every day. Their forefathers got their daily bread. They, they didn't have to work for their food. They didn't have to dig it out of the ground. They just collected it. It was there every morning. And I think what they're saying to Jesus is, you fed us yesterday, how about today? Where's our miracle today? Again, this is so typical of us. We can all think of something in our past that Jesus did. Like, oh, I remember for sure God was real to me then. But where's my miracle today? Jesus is always pushing us to faith. He's always pushing us toward belief. We want proof. He's saying, Here, here's the work to do. Believe. Have faith. The crowd is saying, we don't want to have to believe in something we can't see. We want the food to eat again today. In other words, we want to be satisfied in the moment. And oh, Jesus... If I were Jesus, I'd have been so frustrated because he just said, you're not gonna find life in that which will satisfy you for only a moment. So why are you asking me again for bread? You think you're gonna be satisfied? You're gonna be hungry again tomorrow. He doesn't get frustrated with them. Instead, he seizes this as his opening to move toward his second main idea. So remember, his first main idea is the reason you're always searching for life and never really finding it is you're looking, looking in the wrong places. You're looking for things that are temporary. Point number two is here's the place you actually can find life. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, amen, amen. Listen to what I'm saying. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
man. This is, I want to tell you why this is amazing, why, why, why this is beautiful. Because when I first read it a couple of weeks ago, studying this text, it, it didn't do anything in my heart. And now it does. And I want to explain. There's two things Jesus points out. Number one, he says, it didn't actually come from Moses. The life came from God. Now he used Moses. Moses mattered. Moses was an instrument, but life only and ever and always comes from God. You will not find that in a person. You will not find it in a leader. You will not find it in a spouse. You will not find it in a child or grandchild. Life only comes from God. So don't forget, Jesus is saying, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread, but it's my father. Now look at the second thing he did. He's taking them from the past to the present. And this is amazing. He, he starts with the past tense verb, gave, and then he goes to the future tense, gives. He could have said, it wasn't Moses who gave them bread. It was the father who gave them bread. That's not what he says. He says, it wasn't Moses who gave you, you meaning the collective Hebrew people, but my father gives present tense right now. Open your eyes. I am giving you bread from heaven. That is me for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, life itself, God himself has come down from his throne and is right now, present tense, giving you bread, giving you life. And these people did not have eyes to see that it was God himself speaking to them. They want manna. They, they, they want sweet substance to eat that just goes right through them when God himself is here speaking to them, giving them true bread right at this moment. Now they're a little more interested. Look at verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They still don't understand, but he's tapped into their desire. And then Jesus goes all the way. He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And just like that, we have one of the most important and explosive claims in human history. Someone has claimed to be the bread of life. Now, if I could temporarily erase all of your religious connotation of the phrase bread of life right now, I would because I want you to hear it fresh. I think sometimes Jesus is the bread of life has lost its meaning because we've seen it in plaques and pictures and you know it's just kind of become a religious jargon. I want to try to slow you down this morning and, and, and really dig into this phrase and really consider what Jesus was claiming. The statement, of course, begins with these two powerful, explosive key words, I am, which we've talked about before, we'll continue to talk about. He's claiming deity. Like, well, Rob, how do you know he's claiming deity? That's the proper name of God, I am. Now, Jesus would not have said that in Hebrew. He was likely speaking Aramaic. We have it recorded by John in Greek. But in the Hebrew, the words I am, 
those are the words God gave to Moses when Moses said, well, you tell me your name. And, and God said, I am. It might be better translated, I am who I am. I, I, I was not created. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am. I exist. I am. I am all. I am all, in all and all is in me. God is saying, I am the whole. I am and so Jesus is claiming this, and we, we know he is, we know it's significant because John is gonna take pains throughout the gospel to draw out the seven times that Jesus used this same formula. There are seven I am statements in the gospel of John, and this is the first one. Let me put them on the screen. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And every time Jesus says one of these statements, he's saying, I, I, I am he, I am who I am. I am God himself on the earth in, in flesh. Dare to believe that, he's essentially saying. And here's one aspect of what that means for you. The bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd. You see, each time he's saying, look at a different angle of this truth. Look at a different angle of the beauty of the diamond of this truth that I am God in the flesh. And, and so this morning's text is, I am the bread of life. And let's go back to this one. What does it mean? God himself in the flesh is proclaiming to be the bread of life. Bread in that context was not just a part of a meal. It was not just a side dish. It was the whole meal. And remember, if you don't eat, you die. We can't forget that, can we? So God is proclaiming, I'm life. I am sustenance. I am provision. I am the whole. I am the meal. And not just as he says, I am the bread, but he says, I am the bread of life. So Jesus was essentially saying, I'm the source of life. I'm the place where you'll find energy and meaning and vitality. In such measure, he says that whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So here's what it means. If I could summarize what I think Jesus is meaning when he says, I'm the bread of life, I'd say it this way. He's saying, I am the only place where you can actually find life that is true life. I hope you feel the weight of that. I hope you feel the audaciousness. Jesus, you're saying you're the only place I'm gonna find true life? I... Jesus, you're good and all. You're an important part of my life, but you're the only place where life itself is actually found. I, I hope you're wrestling with this a little bit this morning because the implication is this. If that's true, it means that everything else you've ever chased after, trying to find, this is the life moments. Everything else was simp simply a temporary substitute, a shadow, a fleeting glimmer of the real. I hope you're wrestling with that this morning. You may be thinking, okay, what? Well, I've tasted and seen that Jesus is good and he is good, but I haven't felt this kind of satisfaction that he seems to be promising that never hunger, never thirst. I hope you're wrestling with that 
this morning. That's a good sign. So there's one more important question, right? Remember point one is, is why we haven't ever really found life because we're searching in temporary things. Point two is where we actually will find life, which is in Jesus, who is God himself on the earth, the bread of life. The third thing is how do we take hold of true life when we found it? I think the answer is right here in the back half of verse 34. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, it's an invitation, come to me, believe in me. Now you might think, well, that just sounds too simple and maybe you're feeling a little disappointed because you were hoping for some big aha moment and you're like, this is not the first time, pastor, that I've heard come to Jesus, believe in Jesus. Let me point out a couple things about this invitation. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. Number one, notice how open-handed and gracious it is. This is not the first time we've seen the word whoever. Jesus liked using that word in these kinds of invitations. Remember Nicodemus, he says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. It's so gracious, it's so inclusive, it's just this open-ended. He doesn't, he doesn't say, whoever gets his life straightened out and figures things out and gets really good and lives this clean life, then you shall not hunger. He doesn't say, whoever memorizes Torah, whoever figures out the right theological framework, he doesn't say, whoever exhausts him or herself in service to others, he doesn't say any of those things. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. So that's the first thing. It's just so gracious and so open-handed and so welcoming. But the second thing is, just because it's gracious and open-handed doesn't mean it's easy. Where am I getting that from? Well, notice when he says, whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me, it's in the context of the previous sentence when he said, I'm the bread of life. So I think it's clear that he's saying, come to me as your bread. Believe in me as your bread. This is where he lost the crowd. How do we know he lost the crowd? Look at the next verse. Verse 36, but I said to you, that you've seen me, the bread of life, the source of life, the all provision, and yet do not believe. Now, if I was in the crowd, I might've quibbled with this at this point because they, they, they would've been saying, what are you saying? We, what are you saying we don't believe in you? Just yesterday, we saw you do that miracle and what we proclaimed was that you're the prophet that was prophesied through Moses. And they were right. So they did believe in him. There must be something about the way they were believing in Jesus that was missing. And I'm not gonna teach the whole chapter today, but where you're gonna see this is the part that they were missing is they did not believe Jesus was their bread. 
not the way that he was wanting to be their bread. They're just like, feed us, feed us, satisfy us, satisfy us. Jesus says, I am satisfaction in fullness. Eat my flesh. They didn't want anything to do with that. And so by the end of the chapter, they're all gonna leave. So here's our application this morning. What is it about whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me that's maybe not as easy as it sounds? First of all, I think a lot of people would say Jesus is the bread of life, but they really only mean that theologically, not personally. So they'd say, I believe Jesus is the bread of life in the sense that he's God. He, he, he provided for the whole world through his death and his resurrection. I put my faith in that and I say to that, amen. I'm with you. But in reality, if you're honest, many of us would say, yeah, he, he's the theological bread of life, but he's not my personal bread of life. You know, I can't count on him for my everything. So let me give you a couple examples. And, and I didn't have to look far from these. These come from my own heart. Example number one, many of us, if we're honest, would say, Jesus is not my bread, but he's the butter on top of my bread. The bread's my family. Bread's my career. The bread's my dream. The bread's my estate. Bread's my talent. The bread's my physical body. But I need Jesus' blessing over those things. I I, I just kind of need him slathered on top, this good, delicious blessing of Jesus to kind of make this stuff come together. Example number two. I think a lot of us, if we're completely honest, would say Jesus is not my bread. He's more like my vegetables. He's on my plate. But I really only eat vegetables when I need them. So I, I go through my life and, and there are times that I realize I'm unhealthy. There are times that I, I, I realize something's not quite right internally and so I go to the vegetables. I eat the vegetables when I feel myself getting unhealthy and I go to Jesus. Jesus is not bread, but he is vegetables. Why is it so hard to come to Jesus as our life, as our bread, as our substance? We're no different than these people. In many ways, we're not. In fact, maybe it's in some ways harder for us. Here's why. We have so many other things that look like bread. We have so many pillows and blankets and stuffed animals and bowls of popcorn and Disney movies. This is the life, we say. They're all perishable. Jesus is saying, I am everything. I'm meant to be your whole. I'm meant to be your meal. I'm meant to be your source. I'm meant to be what you feast on. And the bread I offer, Jesus is saying, will endure to eternal life. And all he asks us to do is to come to him and believe In other words, come over here to the ledge and say, I'm going to believe that life is not over there or over there. 
or over there. It's right there. It says, come to me and believe. Take a step. When uh, Jody and I were started raising our kids, we were thinking about how we could make Easter more meaningful. Because let's be honest, the Easter traditions as a whole pale in comparison to Christmas. Christmas has a whole 45-day ramp up, you know, and it's just like there's all these different traditions. You get to Easter, it just happens and it's over, and it's like Easter eggs and plastic grass. So we started building some things into our rhythm, the, the Easter week, the Passion Week, and one of the things we built into our rhythm was we, we started doing a fast on Saturday before Easter Sunday because we were remembering this is when Jesus was in the tomb. And so we go to Good Friday service and then we come home and we eat our last meal. We usually make it a big one, a good one. And then we do about a 24-hour fast. My original thought was, let's not eat until breakfast on Sunday because then he is risen. But then we realize that's just too long, (laughs) at least to begin with. So we do a 24-hour fast and we break our fast supper time on Saturday, and that's when our resurrection celebration starts. And we eat breakfast, because breakfast is when you break your fast. I don't know if you ever realized that's where that word came from. I didn't until I thought about it. (laughs) Breakfast. So, you know, it's eggs and bacon and delicious breakfast food, but, but what really makes the meal is all throughout the day on Saturday, Jody is baking bread. And it's the only time of year that she bakes bread from scratch with yeast that rises because it's resurrection bread. And it's this delicious cinnamon raisin bread with a vanilla icing on the top. And all throughout the day, we're hungry and we're hungry and we start smelling this bread because it takes like four or five hours to make this bread and it's agony. And we keep thinking, oh, it's like just to have a little snack. If I could just eat a little food, and we have to keep reminding ourselves, wait for the bread. When our girls were younger, you know, we'd give them smoothies or we'd give them other things because we didn't thought, oh, it might not be healthy for them when they're too little. But now that they're older, we encourage them, wait for the bread. And I'm telling you guys, if you cheat it and you have that 2 p.m. snack because you can't wait, then when you sit down at that breakfast feast at five or six, it's not as good. But if you wait for the bread, it's the best meal of the year. What would it look like for you to wait for the bread? I want to invite you this morning to apply this through the Lord's Supper. And so go ahead and take out the communion elements that you received when you came in. And if you didn't grab one for whatever reason and you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to have this with us. So just feel free. I'll give you plenty of time. Get up and go ahead and go to the back and grab one of these if you missed it. If you're a believer in Jesus, this table is for you this morning. I want to encourage you to go ahead and just pull out the the bread part. Just hold on to it. We're not going to eat it just yet, but just hold on to it. 
I'm going to put a question on the screen for us to think about as we engage in the Lord's Supper this morning together. Do you believe Jesus is the bread of life? Such a simple question. It comes right from our text. Do you believe Jesus is the bread of life? And I I want to invite you this morning to consider this question, not just theologically, but personally. Not just, yes, religiously, he's the bread of the world. I get that. Do you believe he's your bread of life? Are, are you willing to, 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 to come to him that way? Believe in him that way. Wait for him that way. And if you find yourself thinking, I, I, I want that to be true, but I, but I don't know that I've always come to Jesus and believed in him that way, then I'd say, you are in good company but let's all come to him right now. Let's all believe in him right now as the bread of life, as our bread. Do you believe Jesus is the bread of life? What's important to you today is not the right theological answer. What's important is your own honest, personal answer. Do you believe Jesus is the bread of life, that he is your bread of life? If you do, then this nourishes you much more than the smallness of the wafer. And so in faith, we eat the bread with joy. Peel back the purple foil to get to the cup. Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And you look at that little cup in front of you and you're like, man, if I came in here really thirsty this morning, there's no way this half an ounce of juice is gonna satisfy my thirst. Jesus would say, let it point you to me who does. Let this little bit of juice this morning remind you who satisfies your thirst come to him this morning and believe and let's drink this cup with joy. I want to read to you one more thing this morning. You know, after we take communion, sometimes it's good to be reminded. You don't have to work for this. You don't have to prove it. There's not a list of things to do. Jesus says, believe. And so if you put your faith in Jesus as the bread of life, you can be assured that he has received you. You can be assured that you belong to him. You might say, well, how do I know that, Rob? I want to read to you the last few verses of our text this morning. The the part that I hadn't even gotten to yet, I was saving it for the end. And I'm not even gonna explain it. I'm not even gonna comment on it because it does not need comment this morning. I just want you to hear and receive. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen.